Welcome to Stories with Strings, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from our favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. And I'm Tyler, he, him, his. And we are headed back to a wonderful television show that takes us in all of time, in all of space, in all corners of universes, all over the place. And uh, maybe doing it at least 14 different times, <laughs> <laughs> depending on, you know, how you count your doctors. That's true. But we are headed back to the amazing BBC universe of Doctor Who. It's been a while since we've been here, but it's so, so good. And it's coming back this month, too, so that's why we're here. We are back at it. We love David Tennant. And I do believe back in the day, our Get to Know You question was kind of like where you started with the Hoovers. I think so, yes. Um. So, and I think we also talked about companions back in the day. So if you're sure. interested, we have another Doctor Who episode. Go on back, take a listen. Um, but I'm wondering, in the world of the Doctor Who villains, mm. as a Get to Know You do you have a favorite or creepiest? <laughs> uh, my favorite's the master. Full, full, full stop. stop. Love master. the master. Uh, because the master often feels like the only villain that can actually truly match wits with the doctor. Yes. Daleks and Cybermen are very iconic as well, but like they're kind of, they're kind of dumb. Like mm-hmm. Daleks are supposed to be really, really scary and very smart and very cunning. And originally just the staircase defeated them. Yeah. They're yeah. just a trash can. Um, versus like the master feels like a true adversary for the doctor yes and every incarnation of the master is fantastic mm-hmm. and perfect and misty. well acted yeah missy <laughs> um the mistress uh which her versus peter capaldi is such a cool dynamic yes. where it's like we we're enemies but we're also just best friends mm-hmm. And it's way deeper than anybody can really comprehend because we've been friends for over a thousand years. It goes back to the core of they were friends. Yeah. And uh, and I love uh, the the master for David Tennant as well, mm-hmm. uh, where that also has a, a that storyline of like we were friends, and it's like when time lords reach a certain age, they stare into the void. And, like, depending on how you stare into the void or what happens afterward kind of is going to dictate what kind of Time Lord you are. And it's like the Doctor stared into the void and just kept running. Mm -hmm. And the Master stared into the void and went insane. Mm -hmm. And before that, they were, like, school friends, which I think is just really an interesting idea. And uh, especially the scene with David Tennant and the Master, uh, where the Master dies and David Tennant's, like, over him going, Regenerate! regenerate and he's like i'm not gonna is so good and so well acted by everybody in that scene i gotta go with the master absolutely what about and also i get to like include like six different people so that's That's very true what about for you um i think for me and you'll understand why i chose the character i did at that point um one of my favorite creepiest like legit that is scary are the weeping angels oh yeah those are super scary. Those I do not like. I, they're fantastic villains. And I think, again, like, a villain that actually is terrifying to the Doctor mm-hmm. and, like, wins. Yeah. The Weeping Angels don't go away. Like, he can't quite defeat them. Um, 
And then my favorite, because of how adorably silly they are, are the antipos. Antipos, they're so cute. Uh, they're the one Doctor Who episode I'd let this little boy I used to nanny watch. We could watch a majority of that episode because it really isn't that scary. Nah. Um, and I think they're adorable. I have a gym shirt that says I'm working my antipos off. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they're adorable. They are really cute. Yeah. They are very fun. Yeah, some of the Doctor Who villains are really cool. I also really like the um, the Family of Blood, which is the the David Tennant one where he puts his personality into the pocket watch. Yes. And, like, he gets his personality back and he defeats them by just, like, clumsily hitting buttons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I oftentimes, like, will watch something and, like, watch as, like, the answer is, oh, yeah, we're going to secretly press buttons. And I just get David Tennant's voice in my head going, you shouldn't have let me press so many buttons. Um, another great one, and I don't remember the name of the alien itself, but the shadows count in the library. Oh, yeah, the, um, Vashta Narada. Yes. Yeah. That's a good, I love the villains that are in, they're there. Yeah. Like, there's nothing you can really do. Yeah. They are just Well, it's like that classic horror thing of, like, making something very normal scary. Mm -hmm. Making a shadow scary. Making an, statue. a statue scary. <laughs> Go to Europe. You know, everything is yeah. different. Like, <laughs> Which, like, you, you know, like, Hitchcock was really good at doing. Like, mm-hmm. you, Psycho makes the shower scary. Right. You know, I, I think that that is a really cool way of doing horror is just, like, pick a mundane thing and then make it terrifying. So, uh, so good. Yeah. Which also, shout out to The Silence, which, like, makes those little gaps in memory you right. have really scary. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Man, Doctor Who's fun. I can't... I'm so happy it's back. It's back. Um, So with all that said, because I think we could just go on a half-hour rant about just the Doctor Who villains and monsters and aliens. But Tyler, I do believe that you have a new client. I do, and I've time-traveled for this one. Uh, And I am seeing a 37-year-old Dutch man uh, who is a painter and is cisgender... Not sure on sexuality. He's got a lot going on. I don't think he's really uh, prioritizing relationships at the moment. Uh, And lives in Aberdeen, I believe. I'd have to look up the actual historical information. But is living uh, and working as a painter. And, of course, we're talking about Vincent Van Gogh. uh, Or Vincent, uh, as I will be talking to him. From uh, the Doctor Who episode, Vincent and the Doctor, uh, which is very easy to easy to remember that one. Uh, so Vincent is coming in with some deep depression, some probably psychosis level stuff. Um, and really, more than anything else, uh, a crisis of suicidality. And you've heard us talk on here before a lot about suicidality about depression about um not maybe not so much about psychosis we've talked about it a little bit i think i've shared the story previously of uh previous clients i've had and how you kind of work with delusion instead i want to talk about uh, something totally different rather than going into the case conceptualization i want to talk about sort of a therapeutic role uh with somebody like this So the big theme of the episode uh, of Doctor Who that has Vincent in it is that Amy and the Doctor go back to the present day after interacting with Vincent and hopefully changing the past. 
and find out that he still dies by suicide uh, not very long after they had seen him. And Amy gets really upset and is like, so we didn't change anything. And the like hopeful message is the doctor says, well, we may have changed some small things. And then you see like the message that says for Amy and the sunflowers. But the thing that I want to talk about is basically this theme of as a therapist, is it your job to save your client's life? And I think a lot of younger therapists, I can say even for myself, like, you kind of get that mindset going into it. It's like, you know, we we're taught to assess for safety. We're taught to treat for safety. And so it gives you this idea that like, it's your responsibility to stop your clients from dying. It's your responsibility that if your clients are unsafe, that you're the person who has to keep them safe. And I think it's a misconception. I think it's a really hard thing to put on newer therapists and younger therapists and even people who are still in the field. The basic kind of thesis of this conversation for me is if your client wants to die, they're going to. And that reality is really hard for a lot of therapists to get through. And I wanted to just kind of normalize that difficulty that your job as a therapist, my job as a therapist, is not to stop my client from harming themselves or killing themselves. My job is to support them with whatever they're coming in with. And if what they're coming in with is, I want to die, we have to figure out what the best support for that is. Now, yes, legally and ethically, you do have a responsibility to try to get your client to higher levels of treatment if that's what's needed. And that's, you know, what you're supposed to do, right? The thing being, if you've seen a client who's been in crisis at least once in their life before, they know the questions, they know how to answer the questions, they know how to avoid going to the hospital. They understand the game of everything, quote unquote, the game. And so after a certain point, you have to trust that the relationship is strong enough that they're going to tell you the truth. And you have to trust that when they tell you they're safe, that they're safe. But at the end of the day, they could have a really bad day between sessions if you're seeing them weekly. And that's it. And there's nothing you could have done. There's nothing anybody else could have done. It's their decision to take their life because it's their life. And there is no amount of treatment that can change that. There's no different type of, you know, no, no matter what theory you practice, you're not going to be able to stop that from happening if that person wants that to happen. And to talk about that theme of defeated feeling that Amy has at the end of the episode with Vincent of like, oh, we didn't change anything. We didn't make his life better. Rather, it's not about making the quantity of life better. It's about making the quality of life better. <laughs> it's the beautiful quote at the end of that episode. Yeah. It's that you're not... You may not be able to affect that that person takes their life, you know, in three years, four years, five years, but maybe you as the therapist can make that four, three years, four years, five years more bearable for them in the long run. And it's about getting them quantity over quality of life. Or no, sorry, other way around. Quality, quality. over quantity of life. Uh, English is hard sometimes. Those words are very close together. The thing being... None of us, you know, just to get a little existential here, just a little bit, none of us knows how much time we have. 
And your job as the therapist is just to make the time that is here less suffering for your client than what is happening now. And so I'm about reaching the end of my time for this little section of the episode, uh, but I wanted to have this discussion, kind of share my thoughts on it, hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, rather than doing a case conceptualization, this is more of a counter-transference, like mm -hmm. what is your role when somebody is deeply suicidal? I've had that discussion with a supervisor because I was supposed to leave for five days at Comic-Con when a client was in in stable crisis. Yeah. So, like, we did the crisis stabilization. Low-level passive suicide. Right. They left the office with a safety plan reporting no direct, I'm going to go do this. There was not a crisis team needed, but it was an intense session. And I went to my supervisor because I was a little baby new therapist still in school freaking out mm -hmm. and um i was like how am i supposed to go on this like little weekend vacation if my crisis isn't like i have to be there i have to stop it from happening and they're like turn off your phone mm -hmm. there's like if they call you you're not a crisis line they have the crisis line if they are going to do something they're probably not going to call you because you would ethically and legally need to you know stop them. stop them yeah and at the end of the day too we're an agency. We're here for you. They yeah. have our number too. And they know that you you are going away for the weekend. And it was like the best like self-care reminder of like, I can't control this. Yeah. And I don't have to. And I'm not a crisis line. And there are people who are professionally trained crisis evaluators and talk lines and that do that job for us. And you're right. If I've, I've seen clients report, well, I knew what to say. Yeah. And that's like the thing, that's part of what, why uh, we, we were looking at a list of characters and like, oh, who are we going to do? And I was like, you know what? I saw this name come up and I was like, I want to have this discussion. I want to have this ch talk. This is definitely something you get more in like a a supervision group yes. or something rather than, or a consult group rather than like, you know, just us talking about clients. But I think it's important to have the conversation because I have a client currently who we had this conversation mm -hmm. Because uh, that client has been hospitalized before, has had a really rough go of things, does not want medical treatment, only wants talk therapy, which I've got feelings about that, but that's their choice. Mm -hmm. uh, they got autonomy. They're an adult. But we were talking and they were like, we were having a discussion. They were in crisis. I had assessed they weren't going to do anything imminently. You know, we were just processing the crisis. And they were like, and I was talking to them and trying to get them you know, emotionally elevated enough that we could get some good discussion happening because they were kind of low level, um, you know, numbing everything out. And I was doing that and the client was like, you're not helping. You're making me feel more motivated to do the thing. And I had the discussion of like, do you think it's my job to, to stop you? <laughs> like, I was like, it, I have a legal and ethical, like, duty to protect you. But if you want to do this, that's not my job. And I had the discussion of like, my job is to support you with what you're coming in with. This is what you're coming in with today. So we're talking about it. If by the end of session, we're still talking in the same way. Yeah, I'm probably gonna have to call somebody about it. But like, we're not there yet. We're still at the beginning of session. Let's have a discussion about this. Yeah. And yeah, no, my job is not to keep you alive. My job is to 
discuss what's going on. Yeah. I use a lot of parts language sometimes with those discussion of like, there's a part of you right now that does not want me to have this conversation with you. Yeah. And like, there's that part of you that doesn't want to hear that there is a different outcome. And I'm letting that part know that I'm not the threat here. Yeah, exactly. And I've had the same similar conversation of like, I can, you're not telling me you're doing this right now. Like the only one stopping you is you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like you have to have a really good rapport and relationship to have sometimes those blunt conversations with a client. But like, and it's not just that statement, but like, yeah, it's important to have. But I think aside from even the suicidality part, there's the conversations of like, am I working harder than my client? Yeah. Am I caring more than my client? If my client just ghosts me, did I do something wrong? Have I failed them? Yeah, no. And I think of it like sometimes we plant dandelion seeds and we see it grow overnight and they blossom into a little flower and then those little seeds spread and it's fantastic. Yeah. Sometimes it's an acorn. Yeah, I was going to say a redwood tree, right? Where yeah. <laughs> it takes a lifetime. It takes a long time and you are never going to see the results as their therapist because they're going to leave before that, that tree even sprouts. Yeah, and that's a true thing of just therapy in general. Mm -hmm is understanding and like we have this conversation with clients as a part of intake because it's how we were trained is like at some point we'll be done yeah right and what does it mean when we're done and it's really fun for me because i do long-term therapy with people i see people for multiple years yeah. at a time so it's like at the very beginning being like at some point we'll be done that'll be a long time for now yeah um but to or even that. with yeah. my kiddo clients. It's like, I'm not going to be in your life forever. Yeah. And I have to explain that to their parents, too, of, like, they're still going to be kids. They're going to go through some hard times. They're going to hit puberty. They're going to do this. That doesn't mean they need therapy. Yeah. But they have tools. And now it's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> this is your job now. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I thought it was just an interesting conversation to have. That's also why I picked the character, mm -hmm. so we don't really need to go into that too deeply. Mm -hmm. Other than this is my favorite episode of Doctor Whoever yes. <laughs> also. Sometimes if I have client, uh, clients, if I have friends that are like, Doctor Who, where do I start? And I'm like, there's so many different ways to go about it. I was like, what are you feeling? And they're like, I just kind of want to get a vibe. And I'm like, honestly, it's a sad episode, but I sometimes point to this one. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a good, solid, not crazy story arc. So you have to watch five other episodes, especially with the uh, with the 11, yeah. Yeah. But it's so good. And yeah. And that quote at the end, the life is filled with good things and bad things, and the good things don't make the bad things go away, but vice versa, the bad things don't diminish the good things, and we yeah. add it to his pile of good things. And that's not a direct quote. I'm making it up off the top of my head, so if I'm Close not enough. accurate, Close it's enough. okay. I'm not going to correct you. Close <laughs> enough. Yeah, I think that... The, like I said, pile. my favorite episode of Doctor Who ever, yeah. I, I think, Bald. by far. Which is hilarious because David Tennant's my favorite Doctor. But yeah. this is my favorite episode of Doctor Who. It's so good. Yeah. There, so, yeah. there are many episodes that made me cry, but this one hit. The, yeah, if you want to be emotionally destroyed by a television, by a British television show yeah. for children, this is the, the right one. Yep, it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's a children's show, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> It was originally a sci-fi children's show. Yay. But yes, well, thank you for sharing thank and you having very much. the conversation. Yeah. And we're going to take a momentary break and be back with more Doctor Who on Stories with Strings. 
Welcome back to Stories with Shrinks, where we are talking about Doctor Who. I just wrapped up talking talking about Vincent, I guess. I guess more talking about stuff going on with Vincent and therapist role with okay. Vincent. Uh, but I believe you have a new client. I am in working with a new client. I do have a new client. There's yeah. the right, you know, conjunction words there. Either way. Um, English hard. Yeah. And well, I am working with a new client, and we're actually working here in the United States. Hmm. And uh, they recently moved to the United States after living in London for a period of time. Um, and they are coming into therapy because they're facing a position where they might have to go back home. And uh, they're hesitant and worried and having to make that decision of boundaries and like values and loving their friends and the people they have back there but knowing that it may not be like a healthy and safe space for them anymore and whether or not they should go back so um we are working with a female who i would place in her late 20s possibly early 30-ish time frame um again from what um, how they're presenting um, cisgender heterosexual female and her name is Sally Sparrow mm-hmm. and it clicked yeah. <laughs> and um, so something just to kind of start off the conversation with Sally of like you know what really brings you in anxiety and boundary works discussion about going back home visiting friends Um, and kind of talking about what made her come out here. And she had um, an experience in London where um, she loves photography, and one of the things that she likes to do is go into, like, old buildings and photograph and learn the history. And um, she just had an experience that was really frightening, and she met some new people who are very active in her life, but um, just doesn't really feel like that experience is done like that those fears and those um as she kind of says monsters are still present in her life and she doesn't want to have to face those monsters again and kind of talking to her about you know what that experience was like and um just having that she had lost people and that she's afraid of getting lost and um losing time and kind of just sitting with her in those feelings of things And then, you know, kind of the fact that this is a decision she has to make sooner or later. Um, Sometimes when we work with clients that are like, this is kind of the issue, this is the time frame of the issue, we're doing more short-term, like, motivational interviewing question of, like, well, what are the pros and cons of going back? Where are the boundaries here? What, What are the benefits of saying no? How is it to say no? What would happen if you said no? How would your friends respond to that what are the fears of those responses and learning to trust that we can have healthy relationships with people and say no if we're not feeling comfortable with the concept of going back and I think the larger discussion of like going back home is scary sometimes and you know we may have some really um, amazing people in our life that we'd want to go back and visit and other times there are things that we don't want to have to go back to And how do we find that balance, Um, especially when you are in a different like acculturation process, too, of like, are we visiting the United States? Are you living in the United States? You know, are we making this an established home? Do you ever plan to go back to London? Um, And kind of talking through those experiences with her um, 
and what it would mean to go back in general and giving her that opportunity to learn to say no if she needs to and give her that support that you can you can place those boundaries and oppositely let's say she was like no i i really think i need to go back i need to visit these people i need to have the security that i know that they're safe um great how do we do that successfully then what coping skills can we start to practice now so that when you go back to london when you go see these people when you go do these different activities how do we make sure that you're safe physically emotionally you know what things can we put into place what practices can we put into place uh, who can we have set up over there as a safety touch point um, that you can feel secure doing this activity and in general anytime i have a client that are like i have to go do something where i don't feel 100 percent safe in well why what can we control what can't we control is it worth it um, yeah. what is the safety need there um and you know how do we keep them safe in the process of that but in like this regard um like she was talking about like there's this like I, I once visited this old house we thought it was abandoned it wasn't okay maybe like the boundary is we don't go back to that house ever again <laughs> is that possible and um, giving ourselves that peace of mind that we can say no and this is short-term work with Sally I think I don't think we'd be doing long-term therapy together because this is kind of like I need help making this decision and how to like do this decision properly um, but giving her an opportunity to feel that she has the right to say yes or no to whatever decision she needs to make in her life and again short-term work but it's a conversation I have a lot with clients of I have this decision of whether or not to go back and explore this thing or I have to go home during the holidays. How do I handle that? Um, how we have the pups here and they're being adorable right now. Mm -hmm. um, how do we go visit home? How do we talk to old friends? How do we set up new healthy boundaries with people in our life? And it's a conversation that comes up a lot that she's directly facing as she has to go back to possibly go back to London um, to help a friend out or even you know, what happens when your friends get married and you have to go back? Would it be a different circumstance? Um, and yeah, I think that would short, kind of short and sweet today. Yeah. But that's our conversation with Sally. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I like how you uh, skirted the supernatural events of what happens to her. Cause... She could totally have a conversation about it without it becoming a supernatural. Oh thing, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, God. Also, and that comes also up in the episode. episode. She's yeah. told not to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Also a good episode. Don't blink. Don't blink. Don't even blink. If you blink, you die. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So what? why Sally? What about her? So again, when the conversation of what our episode starter like topic was going to be, and we did the... Well, you did it in front of me, but I did it off conversation of... Well, characters in Doctor Who. Mm. And I was like, okay, I don't really want to do a companion again. Yeah. Because I'd done the companion route. And um, I feel like also a lot of the companions get full story arcs. Yeah. Where like, and I was like, well, and, and I don't really want to do an alien. So what are some of the other humans? And I was scrolling through and I was like, huh. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. Because she is just a one-off character um, in Doctor Who. 
and you don't really hear from her again. You know, like, within the story episode that she goes to America, um, she escapes the, the Weeping Angels. Uh, her friend reports that their wife went missing, and they think it has to do with the angels again, and don't come back. Yeah. And there is a conversation of there of what happens when you feel like you need to go back to whatever the triggering event is and sometimes that can be you know i have to go home um i have to do thanksgiving with the family i have a wedding i have to attend Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is we are faced in times where we have to quote unquote go back and there are privileges of knowing that sometimes regardless you don't have to go back and there are privileges in being able to go back um but sometimes it's just hard and it's a conversation I have a lot with clients and it was an interesting to have with her in the sense of like, yeah, we could have a whole conversation about this with it never becoming supernatural or even the grief work of it. It's like, I feel like I need to go back home, but I don't want to. What yeah. do I do? <laughs> yeah. I think that there's a, uh, a very normal human adult thing in that. Yeah. Right. Of yeah. like, oh, I have to go back to some place that I have baggage with. Yeah. Because it's not just, like, going home. Because if, like, you know, I maybe... I could speak for myself where it's, like, going home is fine, but being back in my hometown... There's baggage there's sometimes. There's baggage to that town. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, both. Yeah, right? There's positive and negative emotion. Like, there are good things that happen there, bad things that happen there. Life. Yeah. And people, and maybe people you want to see, people you don't want to mm-hmm. see who live there, you know? I have that conversation with clients even about, like, well, me and my ex always went to this restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to go back. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And then it's like, well, maybe it's either you reclaim that for yourself, or maybe it's time you find a new restaurant. Yeah. You know, that kind of a deal. Uh, so, yeah, I think that there's... I, I really love the the, re, the re, relativity to just normal human... Normal human, normal human issue in Doctor Who... Which there are so many normal human issues in Doctor Who, but oh, yeah. like there's just the monster in the background. Yeah. At, at some point, we need to do a Doctor Who episode and just pick different doctors because we haven't done that. Yes, that's true. Um, but it's hard because the Doctor is such a complex figure with mm. like thousands of years of memories at this point. And, but it would be interesting because each Doctor does have a very specific personality and like reaction to all of the trauma that they yes. they experience. So it would be kind of cool. Do you respond with anger, fear, denial? (laughs) Getting a god complex? You know. You never know. David Tennant. I'm the last one. I'm the Time Lord Victorious. (laughs) All right, bro. Yes. Cool. Uh, But yeah, so that is us for this time. Uh, We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, If you want, check us out on Instagram at Stories with Shrinks, where Jen will post lovely things like when new episodes come out or mental health you know stuff and the best part is i post when i feel like exactly because we need space in our lives love to see it uh but we'll be coming at you hopefully again at the end of this month uh last month october got really october-y on us Mm -hmm. and we just kind of ran out of time so we did promise you a, a scary scary episode and we're planning on releasing that a little bit later yeah Uh, So now we're just going to preview it every episode until we actually release it. Yes. (laughs) Um, But uh, we'll release that a little bit later on in the year. Uh, Rather, October just kind of got life. Life got in the way. So you get one episode for October, but hopefully we're back to our regular release schedule after this. 
Be kind and gentle with yourselves, y'all. There's a lot happening in our world, so just be kind. And till next time, bye. Take care, everyone. Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com. <laughs>